Hi, and welcome to Northampton Bible Church's podcast. We are glad that you're here today. If you'd like to learn more about Northampton Bible Church, you can check us out at nbchurchcf.org. You can also interact with us on social media at nbchurchcf. And now, here's today's message. In a way that we've taught or we function that we believe that there's God and then there's Satan. But really what we have is we have God and then there's Satan somewhere down here. That God is all-powerful. That Satan is not the equal opposite to God. That Satan is created, a created being, a cherub, and we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, He's not even close to being the opposite, the equal opposite of God. The other thing I want you to understand is that, that angels or demons, just like angels, are not, they're not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at one time. And uh, well, this is important, uh, number one, because you've often heard the phrase, and maybe we don't say it that much anymore, but you, the phrase, the devil made me do it. If you say that, you're not telling the truth, unless you're that important that the devil wants to key in on you in particular and says, I'm going to do something with that person. That's, that's happened. We saw it, we'll see in Job that that's happened. But because Satan is not omnipresent, nor is he all-powerful, he, there's the high likelihood that he is impacting you personally is pretty, pretty low. But it, doesn't, it does speak to the fact that, that it's not just Satan. And we'll see that there are the third of the angels were cast out of heaven when Satan was cast out, when really Lucifer was cast out. There's a lot of demons. There's a lot of influence. There's a lot going on in the spiritual realm that we don't see. And one of the things I was going to say this morning from the get-go is that there's a battle that's going on all around us. And that the truth is, I think we see repercussions of that in, our, in what's happening this morning. That not often do things that like the chaos, at least the chaos that I feel, uh, it happens on a regular basis. And so we know that the, the spiritual realm is real. We know that there is a being who wants to destroy us, who wants to, to stop the message of the gospel from going out, that wants to really make you, if you say that you follow Jesus, wants you to live such a, a lukewarm Christian life that you make no difference in the world. Angels serve God, but demons serve the efforts of Satan. Let's uh, look at the leader of the demonic forces. We know him as Satan. He was originally known as Lucifer, which means star of the morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. We're going to look at those, both of those passages this morning in brief. In Ezekiel, it's speaking specifically to uh, about a king, an earthly king, but we know uh, that from context clues, and we know from uh, what Scripture says that it's really a reference to Satan and Satan's power behind this king. Uh, You'll see that it becomes very obvious as you read through it. But Ezekiel is in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28. And if you're using your phone, you're going to have to minimize Facebook then to bring up your Bible app just so, just trying to help everybody out, just trying to help you out, or Amazon or whatever. Uh, I'm all for the Bible app. We even go live. We have a live uh, version of our, our notes on the version app. So if you have the version app, you can see the notes right there, um, hopefully. <laughs> but uh, it can often be a distraction. So Ezekiel chapter 28, the first half seems to be referring to a man specifically, but then we get to verse 12, and look what it says in Ezekiel 28. We'll start in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, speaking of Ezekiel, He says, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You are the signet of perfection. Again, talking to the king of Tyre, but we know that this is reference to Lucifer. 
to Satan. That you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and beauty, uh, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And he goes through all these stones. Verse 13, end of verse 13. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14. And you were an anointed guardian cherub. Remember we talked about cherubim last week. Cherubim and seraphim and the, the, uh, the four living creatures. And how the cherub were powerful angels. And cherub were known to be the throne of God. And cherub were, were just these beings that would guard. And they were even part of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. and uh, Made out of gold. And so they, they were, they're a big deal. And what, uh, what God is saying to Ezekiel is that you were a, a guardian cherub. I placed you. That you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And so what we see here about Lucifer, about Satan, is that he was this beautiful cherub. And you might have heard these things that you can see in Scripture that, that they're true. That he was a beautiful angel. He was a, a beautiful being. And he was perfect and he was with God until sin found him. Till sin was found in him. Verse 17, what was, what was in his heart? What was the thing that, that tripped him up? Pride. Go, if you look at Isaiah 14. So go left to Isaiah 14. If you're one of those work ahead people, you already had your finger there ready to go. Isaiah 14, verse 12, again, speaking of Lucifer, again, listen to these words, listen to the heart, listen to the pride. Verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of, of, the, of dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you, you who laid the nations low. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That Lucifer is saying, I am going to be like God. I am going to be better than God. And you know, we have hints of pride in our lives. We have this in us as well. We don't like to admit it. We don't go around saying, hey, by the way, I'm very prideful. And I'm very proud about the fact of being prideful. But we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We don't want to surrender our lives. We want to, be, we want to kind of forge our own path and say, this is, that it's all about me. And it's what I want. But when I come to Christ, it's about surrendering all. It's about saying, God, use me. It's about saying, God, whatever you want. That pride led Lucifer to say that I, I will be like God. And then you look at it and say, well, but who gave you life? And I think of that, in our, we don't outright say that to God, but we often live like that. God, I, I, I got this. God, I will make this happen. God, I will do this. I had a family member once argue with me about going, not argue, but just say, like, I don't need church. I am God. 
That's when you take a step back and you wait for the lightning to turn on. <laughs> but they flat out said it. it was just more of this like, I don't want to go to church. I don't need to go to church. I am God. I'm like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> so Satan introduced sin to the equation. He's the originator of sin. Look at verse, uh, not verse, here's number two underneath there. The I, I, I. At the heart of Lucifer's fall was pride. And pride is sin. Pride is being preoccupied with me. Lucifer was full of pride. And he became Satan after his fall, which means adversary or accuser. So again, uh, if you would turn your Bibles to Genesis 3, I got you doing your your Bible journey today. Uh, I know I didn't say it earlier, but I want to say that if you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, you need a Bible, uh, there's some right there in front of you. You can use them and we encourage you to take them. Um, We will buy more. Uh, We want the Word of God to be in your hands. So uh, Genesis chapter 3 Because the reality is, is that God didn't create Satan as we know him today. God created Lucifer, and Lucifer fell and became what we know to be Satan. And uh, Genesis chapter 1, like we said, God created everything. And then Genesis chapter 3, things are different. And so now this is after the fall. This is after Satan has fallen, has been cast out of heaven. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And so we know that serpent, the serpent, is Satan. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And so we have, if you know the story, if you know the account, that we have Adam and Eve were put together, put in the garden, and God says that you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you just can't eat from these trees. And they're to to be fruitful and multiply and live life, and and they they had fellowship with God. And along comes this serpent, and he says, but did, did God really say... Did he, did he really say what I think he said? Do you, do you really think that he meant what he said? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Uh, we don't have time at all, at all, to go through any of that, except to say that what you see in Eve, and you can look back in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that she began to add to the commandments of God, that she kind of was like, well, God says we can't do this, and we can't touch it. And they... But look what, look what Satan says. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God said this, but he's lying. He's not telling you the truth. The reality is, is that God wants to keep you down. He wants to hold you back. That, that this thing that you want to do, you should do it because when you do it, you'll be like him. Just do it. In essence, in our culture, just do what feels good, man. Just don't let God hold you back from what you could be, from your potential. Just keep pushing forward and, and do forge your own path and What we see is that Satan is just spewing lies. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he begins to challenge the love of God. He begins to challenge the Word of God and say, Really? If God really loved you, He would let you do whatever you want. I mean, if He really did. If If He really loved you, you could do whatever you want and He'd be okay with it. If He really loved you. That's a lie. And it smells like smoke. It's not from the heart of God. It's Satan is trying to say, hey, you know, just, just do it and it's going to be all right. 
I want you to understand today that, that the biggest lie that Satan can tell you and does tell you and tells Adam and Eve and tells us is that you can sin and get away with it. That that's the biggest lie that, we, that we've experienced, that we hear from, from Satan, from we hear from, from demons, what we hear from the world is that you can sin and you can get away with it. It's okay. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. But that's a lie, like I said, that smells like smoke. Because what, what happens to us is we get stuck in this trap of sin that we think it. And there's this process, and we've talked about this, that we think it, want it, do it, and pay for it. That we think it, that that thought comes into our head. We, we have that, that thought about somebody else or that relationship or that thing or, or whatever it is that's outside the bounds of what God wants for us. Ultimately, that's sin, and we begin to think about it. And at that moment, we can say, you know what? I don't want it. God, I want to please you more than I want that thing. But what can tend to happen is we think it and then we really want it. And then when we want it, we ultimately do it. And when we do it, we end up paying for it. And Satan wants you to believe, demons want you to believe that you can, <laughs> God's just, he's just holding you back. Just do what you want. Do what feels good. And it's going to be okay that you can sin and you can get away with it. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took, from, took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths, that, that sin entered into the equation into our world in this time, that this is known as the fall. And each of us, all of us, have been tainted by that sin sickness. That when you're born, you're not born sinless, you're born sinful. That we're all sinners. All of us. And it's as a result of the fall. But I want you to understand today that, that while that is bad news, there's good news. Is that Jesus loved you enough. That God loved you enough in Christ to, to make you good enough to, to come and die in your place. To be Savior. To be Lord. And I want you to understand today that that doesn't happen by accident. That, that in the sense of that some people think that, well, I, I believe that Jesus died for me. I, I believe that. And I go to church and I'm a good person. There's a point in time in your life where you need to follow Jesus. That if we distill all this down to the, to the very bottom line, no matter who you are, no matter how you identify, no matter what you've been through, no matter what color you are, you need to be born again. That that's the message of the cross to the world is that you need to be born again. No matter what you think, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how good you think you are, no matter, no matter, no matter, you need to be born again. That's what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You need to be born again. And that's the message that we hold out to the world is that you need to be born again, that we preach Christ and Him crucified. There is no other hope. There is no other peace. There is no other joy. There is no other freedom outside of Christ. And you've experienced this in your life. That you've chased after things, say, well, if I just get one more of these things, if I just get one more relationship, if I just get one more whatever, I'm going to feel good. It's going to bring me peace. And you say, that's a dead end each time. That I can find freedom in Christ. And it comes with the decision to follow Him. It comes with the decision to surrender your life. That there should be a point in time where you say... <laughs> I'm going to repent. I'm going to 
walk away, turn away from all the things that I, were, that I was doing in hopes that I might gain eternity, that I might be in heaven one day and I'm just going to trust in Christ. Verse 8, and they, they heard the sound of the Lord, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife ran to them and, and said they were so sorry. And, no, they hid themselves. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the way I see it is you've got two options when it comes to sin. One option is you can, you can run and you can hide and you can act like it didn't happen and hope that the consequences don't come. That would be Satan's option. Eh, just, it's okay. Just. Or you can repent, you can get real, you can do the 180 and say, God, I was going away from you, but I realize now that you're all that I need and I put my faith and my trust in Christ alone. And you repent and you turn around. And we know that when we turn around and when we come home that we find forgiveness and we find freedom. 1 John 1, 9 says that if I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That if you're carrying the burden of sin, in Christ you can be free. In Christ that weight can be lifted. In Christ you can have hope for eternity and you can have hope for this life because of Jesus. We are in a spiritual battle with an enemy who wants to destroy our lives. If at very least he wants us to be neutered. He wants us to be lukewarm. If we just kind of say we follow Jesus and we go to church and we kind of like, eh, we just kind of get through, great. The enemy is one. But if you say we want to get serious about making disciples who make disciples, which I believe as a church we are and we're getting to that point, and, and my prayer is that if you are to that point that you would catch a vision for what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples because at the end of the day that's God's call in your life. That if you're a Christ follower, if you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, if he's your Savior and Lord, you don't have an option that you're called to make disciples who make disciples. I am called to make disciples who make disciples. So there's some names for Satan that he's referenced by. You know the first one is the devil. He's also known, as we've already seen, uh, he's known as the serpent which in Genesis 3. I'm going to give them all to you real quick because we're up against it there. Um, Beelzebub, the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, that these are names as you look in Scripture, as you read through Scripture and you come across these things, you're like, oh, that's a reference to Satan. Okay, I get it. There are characteristics that are reminders of who Satan is and his power. Hopefully you got all those. Um, I'm going to give these to you if I can find them. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, some characteristics that he is a fallen angel. He's a fallen cherub, powerful. He is not God's op opposite equal, as we've already said. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He is not uh, omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. And he is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. And yet we live under that influence often in our lives, and we live as if he is, or we think in our mind that he is, but he's not. But he is real, and he is powerful. But I want you to understand that Satan was defeated at the cross. That, that God foreshadowed Satan's defeat in Genesis chapter 3. You can look at it yourself uh, later this week, but understand that, that even in the garden, even when things went down, even th when sin entered the equation, uh, God made the, God said that in the future, 
you were going to be defeated and at the cross he was. That sin has no power over us as Christ followers. It doesn't mean that we'll stop sinning because we all struggle with sin. But it does mean that the power of sin, the consequences, not the consequences, but really the, uh, the, the reality of sin in our lives and what that does to separate us from God is all gone when Christ. Angels, uh, Satan is a spirit being, but has, has power to take on human form. Uh, even to portray himself as something that he's not. Look at 2 Corinthians. I'll put it on the screen there. That no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light so that it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That you might come into contact somehow, some way, although angels are spirit beings, uh, invisible spiritual beings, uh, that there are times where they can take on a form that we can see them. And it doesn't mean that they're going to have wings and, or that Satan's going to have horns and a pitchfork and a ha-ha, you know, those kind of cartoon things. Uh, in fact, what we see in Scripture is that often uh, it, it's not what he appears. And so what, what demons do is they oppose and attempt to destroy the work of God and to extend the power of Satan. The problem is, is that demons don't understand that they're already defeated. I will tell you that I believe they probably know way more than you think that they know. Uh, they've been around way longer than you realized. But methods that they use, uh, they use lies. John chapter 8 says, And Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, that's not something you want to put like on your, your business card or anything. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're Satan, then I guess you would. Uh, that nothing that he says, who he is, is a lie. They use deception, which is kind of like lies. Um, Revelation 12, 9, you, I don't know if that's there or not. They also use murder, which is not great. Uh, they, use, uh, they bring about spiritual blindness to the truth in people's lives. This is a verse that you probably have heard. Uh, even if, if, we, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, notice lowercase g, God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. The very real reality is in people's lives is that, that Satan has the power to keep you spiritually blind. I believe and I know that God has more powerful and can, can lift that blindness, but I think there are times where we choose to continue to walk in that blindness. But they use blindness, they also use spiritual bondage to keep us from, from being able to, to hinder us from coming to God. And they also use temptation and doubt and guilt and fear and confusion and sickness and envy and pride and slander and the list goes on. Because what we see in, in demons is the ability to kind of know your tendencies and to kind of know who you are. Like, okay, when, when this happens, then, then they choose to, to really fall away from God, so we're going to keep doing this thing. We're going to keep working to kind of make them slip up. If nothing else, keep working so that you just kind of be going, ah, who cares, I'm just comfortable and it's okay. And demons will do this to give you what you want instead of what you need. That you need to be born again no matter who you are. And demons want to keep you comfortable and saying, but this is what I want. 
This is what I want. And if we had time today, you could go around and tell stories about getting what you want and finding that it's not what you need. All through your life. I finally got what I wanted, but it's not what I needed. I got that raise, but it's not what I needed. I got that new house, but it's not what I needed. I got that relationship, but it's not what I needed. That you need to be born again. And the nice thing is, the comforting thing is, is that they work, Satan and demons work within the limits of God's power. You can look at Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, and you'll see uh, where Satan goes to God and he says, Hey, the only reason why Job serves you is because you're nice to him and because you bless him. If you take everything away, he's going to curse you. And so what does God say? Okay, just don't kill him. I give you permission but he wasn't doing that outside of the, of the power of God. He, he, God had to give him permission, and, and you'll see that all through Job. Our relationship to demons, the demons are at work in the world today, uh, but they can be resisted. But I want you to understand, uh, while they can be resisted, uh, we have no right to take a demon on. Hey, like, hey, I'm with Jesus, so, you know, hey. No, don't do that. Even if you sound like you belong in the mob, and you're like, don't do that. <laughs> hey, no, we don't, no, no, no. You have no power to withstand. I mean, you have power within you, but I don't think it's, it's our job to be like, let's take these demons on, you know. James chapter 4 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That if I want to defeat Satan in my life, if I want to defeat demonic influence in my life, what do I have to do? Submit to God, right? Don't just say, I got this, because each time you're going to get punched in the face. Because you are not, like demons are powerful. That if I, if I, if I get into where God is and I submit to him and I resist the devil, he will flee from me. As Christ followers, you don't mess around with things like tarot cards. You don't mess around with things like Ouija boards. You don't mess around with things like uh, people trying to read your palms or tell you the future. Why do we go to those things anyway? When God has the answers for us, we say, yeah, okay, but let's go talk to somebody else. Some people wonder about demon possession. Uh, there are instances in Scripture and there are instances in the world that demon possession is a thing. That it happens. Uh, demon possession in the life of a true Christ follower, as we look at Scripture, we'd say that, that we don't believe that that will happen. And one of, the, one of the passages that you could look to is 1 John 4, 4, which we've already made reference to. Uh, when we think about demon possession being the total takeover of somebody's life where I can't have any control, you've seen it in movies, that kind of demon possession, 1 John 4, 4 would speak against that, that little children, you, uh, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And what we see in our lives is that, that when I put my faith and trust in Christ alone, when I, when I ask him to be my Lord and Savior and I surrender my life to him, what God does is he puts his seal on me. That he gives me the Holy Spirit, that God takes up residence in my life. And by the way, you know, that 666, 666, you know, 666 in the front, that that's a mockery of the seal that God has put on our hearts and our lives. If you think about it, we'll talk about that some other day, but I just thought about that, that, you know, how God puts his, his seal on us, that, that, that 666, that mark of, of the beast is really that, that just a little bit less than what God has to offer. 
We'll talk about that. <laughs> now you're like, what is that? Little children, we already read that. Good. So we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. What you do have to deal with and what you do have to understand is that while, while as a Christ follower, you uh, may not be demon-possessed, taken over, you can be demon-influenced. When you open up yourself to, to demonic things, when you do things that allow uh, Satan to have a foothold in your life, uh, you are opening yourself up to de- demonic influence, and that's, that's not where you want to live. Uh, not all evil and sin is directly from Satan or demons, but some is. We need to understand that. Uh, this is huge uh, because what we try to do is we say the devil made me do it when we realize that, that often what we see is that me falling into sin is a lot to do with me. James chapter 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But look at the next verse here. But each, one, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Yes, we understand that, Satan, that sin has its roots in Satan in the fall. But understand that you are a sinful person. And understand that that, that whole think it, want it, do it, pay for it process is what James is talking about here. And it's important that we understand that, that we grasp it and, and we don't say, well, it's, it's, it's the demon's fault. No, it's your fault. Make it real, real quick. First thing you need to remember is that Satan and demons never take a vacation. Satan is real and he wants to destroy you. He wants to, at best, keep you from growing toward Christ-likeness. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. But First, John, or First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you ever watched nature shows, you know what this is all about. The lion that kind of like, but who's he normally go after? The one that's like, hey, what's going on? Where are you guys at? The guy, the, the, the gazelle that's like, over there somewhere and everybody else is here and he's kind of like over there doing something or the one that's sick or the one that's kind of like limping along. Satan wants to actively destroy you. And he never takes a vacation and the reality is we've talked about this a lot in discipleship is that you're either growing away from Christ or you're growing toward Christ. You don't just get to chill for a while and say, you know what, I read enough Bible for a while. I'll kind of marinate on, no. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer. Prayer is the battle. Don't take a vacation because Satan doesn't either. Last thing, that God will have the ultimate victory. Revelation 20.10, when I was in Awana, this was a verse that I remember just hung on the wall in the room that we were in. It said, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever. That the hope that we have is that Satan is a defeated foe. Satan is, has no power over you except for the power that you allow him to have. Now, can, can Satan orchestrate things to happen in your life? Yeah. Can demonic forces orchestrate things in your life? To ha- yeah. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And it's so important that we get that and we don't allow Satan to have a foothold in our lives. That we keep short accounts of sin and say, God, I don't want to live this life. I don't want to be in this place. I don't want, allow, I don't want demonic forces to have any kind of influence in my life. And that you would keep short accounts of sin and confess. Mm-hmm.